Turn your Bibles. We're going to be starting in the book of Revelation, chapter 6. Book of Revelation, chapter 6. And as you're turning there, a lady said to the pastor, I hope you won't take it personally that my husband walked out in the middle of your sermon. The preacher said, well, to be frank, I must have to say, I couldn't help but take notice the fact that he did walk out right in the middle. She says, oh, but it wasn't any reflection on you at all. She says, Ralph has been walking in his sleep since he was young. Some of you got it, some of you didn't. Amen. This morning, I want to talk about the four horsemen. The four horsemen of the book of Revelation, mounted and ready. Today, we are seeing a glimpse of end-time prophecy beginning to unfold right before our eyes. On October 7th, we saw Hamas terrorists brutally slaughter thousands of men, women, children, and infants. And in defense, the nation of Israel had declared war on this, these Hamas terrorists. This laying the foundation for the beginning of the end. Let's pick up in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Right at verse 1. This is John, the Apostle John, received this revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, Now I saw when the Lamb, Jesus Christ, opened one of the seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard that third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name on him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of all the earth, to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is these four horsemen revealed. So in these eight verses, we see four horsemen. As Jesus Christ the previous chapter, chapter 5, tells us that he's the only one worthy to open these seals. And as he opens the seals on this divine scroll, this divine book, each seal ushers in 
a judgment of God upon mankind. Now, we need to understand what is this judgment for? It's a twofold judgment. God is ushering in this judgment. Number one, first and foremost, is upon all those who rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And secondly, he's also ushering in these judgments upon those who persecute the Jews and the Israeli nation. Twofold judgments upon a world that has rejected Christ and upon a world that persecutes his people, the nation of Israel. So let's look again at these first four seals. And the first seal, as we saw as it was opened, was that of a white horse. And on that white horse was a rider who went to conquer. What we need to understand is that he is not who he appears to be. It's a deception. Second horse, the second seal, is a red horse. And the Bible tells us that that red horse comes to take peace from the earth. It represents war and bloodshed. Then we see the third seal. As the third seal was opened, we see a black horse come on the scene. And the Bible tells us that that rider brings in uh, death. And that death is by famine. He says he's holding uh, scales in his hands. And you see the price of, of grain is astronomical in that time. So that black horse, that rider, represents an incredible famine. And then we see the fourth seal open, and with that seal comes a pale horse. Now that word pale in the Greek literally is like a, um, like a yellowish-green color. And that horse, that rider, simply represents disease, represents pestilence. Bottom line, it represents death. Now, we see the word pestilence in the Bible, and pestilence really has two definitions to it. One is it just means evil, and it also means deadly disease. Now, both of those definitions apply to the rider of this horse. It is pure evil that ushers in these deadly diseases that leads to mass death. So these are the four horses, uh, the four horsemen of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. Now, I want to show you something to show you just how complete the Word of God is. Jesus also gives us a, a great prophetic uh, insight in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to start reading right at verse 3. Now, I want you to pay attention here. Now, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. His disciples were asking Jesus, how are we going to know when the end is near? Listen to what Jesus answered. He said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. First warning. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then you will hear of wars and rumor of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning 
of sorrows. Now, I want you to pay close attention here. As his disciples ask him about the end times, I hope you noticed the order of events that Jesus gives us here. Right off the bat, the first sign he tells us, take heed that no one deceives you. Don't let anyone deceive you. So deception is his first sign. He immediately follows that up with war, famine, and then pestilence. Now, this is not a coincidence, as these are always stated in that same exact order, whether you're in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. In all the Gospels, they come in that same exact order. Why? Because they line up exactly with what we just read in the book of Revelation chapter 6. Jesus is giving us, he's revealing the four horsemen to us and to his disciples. Deception was his first warning. That rider on that white horse is not who he seems to be. He's a deceiver. Second horse was war, followed by famine and then pestilence. Jesus was giving us a picture of the four horsemen here in Matthew chapter 24. So now let's consider these four horsemen a little bit more. In recent years, when you think of deception, war, famine, pestilence, these are not unheard of words, are they? In the last few years, the last few decades, we see that these very things are trying to come about in greater, greater uh, numbers. However, today, they are being restrained. They're being restrained. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to start reading at verse 3. Listen to how God warns us again. Let no one deceive you by any means. You see that theme, that common theme with the end times? Riddled with deception in the days that we live. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, talking about the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. Falling away. He's talking about from truth and from the gospel. How packed are our churches today? Not at all, are they? That fallen away has already occurred. We see that today. People are falling away from truth. They're falling away from the gospel. They're not interested in Christ whatsoever. So that's another sign. He said, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. He's talking about Antichrist. He's the one, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, talking about God's Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until he is taken out of the way. So we see here God has given us a glimpse of these end times. Again, verse 3 is talking about the man of sin, the son of perdition, Antichrist, 
another warning not to be deceived, that, that rider of the first horse. Then verse 7, he talks about he who now restrains will do so until he's removed. Again, that is God's Holy Spirit that is restraining this evil. And he will continue until he's taken out of the way. Now, the big question is, when does that occur? Well, the simple answer is this. We are the bride of Christ. We are the church, the spiritual church. The Bible tells us that we are indwelt with who? God's Holy Spirit. So if we're still here, guess who else is still here? God's Holy Spirit. So as long as the church is here, God's Holy Spirit and the ministry of the church will continue to restrain that pure evil that is just chomping at the bit to come and take over. So this will happen. The Holy Spirit will be removed when Jesus comes to rapture his church and take us home to glory. Amen? Matthew 5.13, Jesus tells us that we are the salt of the earth. Now, the we he's talking about is every born-again believer. Amen? Every true Christian is the salt of the earth. Now, we have to understand what was Jesus talking about. In Jesus' day, they didn't have refrigeration or freezers, right? There's no such thing. So what did they use? They had to use salt. Salt was their preservative. Salt is also used as an antiseptic to heal wounds. So what Jesus is saying is that we are called to be the preservers of truth and of godliness in this dark and sinful world. We're also called to help those in need. We're called to help heal their wounds. We as God's children, we are both a preservative and an antiseptic, spiritually speaking. Amen? As we serve others, that's when we're walking in the light. That's when we are walking after the Spirit. Whose Spirit? God's Holy Spirit that abides in us. So again, as long as we are here, God's Holy Spirit that abides with us, He will be here, restraining and holding back that pure evil. Now, if we weren't, if it weren't for the presence of you and I, the church body, the, the spiritual church, there is no doubt those four horsemen would be riding across the horizon today, bringing death and destruction. So Antichrist will not be revealed until after the church is raptured. Amen? So next I want to talk about the church. I want to talk about the rapture. And I want to clear up a... I guess you can call it a debate... I want to clear up some confusion on when the rapture will occur. There are some that wrongly believe that the rapture will happen at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation period. And there's others that wrongly believe that it will occur at the end of that seven-year tribulation period. Now, these groups, they rationalize and they say that you know, since the church has always suffered persecution, and it has, since it has always suffered persecution, 
why would this generation be exempt from that persecution? Therefore, they argue that the church will have to endure part and be raptured out to midpoint or have to endure the entire seven-year period of persecution and be raptured at the end of the tribulation. Now, here's the problem with that thinking. They're looking at church history in the wrong perspective. They're not looking at it properly. And here's why. Yes, the church has always suffered persecution, right? We can agree with that. But at whose hands? The church has always suffered persecution at Satan's hands, at the enemy's hands. Satan and the world. Never, ever, ever from the hands of God. We understand that? The church persecution has always come from the enemy, Satan and the world, never from God himself. Now, the tribulation, that seven-year tribulation period, as we're reading about here in Revelation 6, that period of tribulation will come at whose hands? Whose wrath is it? It is God's wrath, again, upon a, a, a world that has rejected Christ and a world that has persecuted his people. Never, ever has God caused the church to suffer, to be persecuted. Remember, it's God pouring out his wrath. We are the bride of Christ, amen? And Jesus is our groom. Jesus went to Calvary. He suffered and he died on our behalf. Why? What was his purpose? In order for us not to have to endure whose judgment and wrath? God's judgment and wrath. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Is death. Sin has to be punished. Jesus went in our place so that we wouldn't have to endure God's wrath and God's judgment. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.9 For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her, for the church, for his bride. It would be a complete contradiction... For God to pour out his wrath on the very bride that he gave his life to protect from that very wrath. Amen? Do we understand that? The rapture will happen right before the seven-year tribulation. The Bible tells us very clearly that it is, is a pre-tribulation rapture. Amen? Next, I want us to talk about, I want us to really key in on this white horse rider. Now, at first glance, this rider appears to be Jesus Christ, right? In, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, the Bible tells us that Christ will return riding what kind of horse? A white horse. Let's go to Revelation 19 real quick. Verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him also on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, if we look carefully at what we just read here in Revelation 19 and and we compare that to Revelation 6, we clearly see that these are two separate, distinct riders. Amen? Let's consider why. Now, comparing Revelation 6 to Revelation 19, keep in mind that Jesus is the one in heaven who's doing what? He's the one opening the seals on that scroll or that book to usher in these judgments. He is not the rider on that white horse. He's the one opening the seals. Secondly, the rider in Revelation 6 tells us that he has a bow as his weapon. As we read here in Revelation 19, Jesus will come with the sword of judgment, not a bow. Amen? Thirdly, the rider in verse, or, or Revelation 6 is wearing a single crown. In the Greek, that word crown is Stephanos, and it's called a victor's crown. But here in Revelation 19, the Bible tells us that Jesus will come wearing many crowns. And that word crown in the Greek is diadems. Diadems. And those are royal crowns. Reason four. In verse, or chapter six, that rider is followed by war, famine, and pestilence. We see, see here in Revelation 19, it says that Jesus will come followed by us, the saints in heaven, and we're going to be riding white horses just like he is. And the fifth reason, the rider in in Revelation 6 comes conquering and to conquer. That tells us that he does not have all things under subjection. But we see in Revelation 19, Jesus comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords, sovereign God, and he already has complete authority over all things. Amen. So as we look carefully, we see that these are definitely two different riders. Amen. Now, remember Jesus' first sign was deception, right? This rider in Revelation 6, from the first seal, is trying to deceive us, and he's trying to appear to be Jesus Christ himself. Amen? He is the Antichrist. He is the great imitator, and he's trying to imitate Christ. 
We need to understand that he's not going to come. The Antichrist isn't going to come into the world scene riding on a black horse, wearing a, a red suit with, with pointy ears. Amen? That's not how he's going to come. The Bible tells us that he's going to come as a great speaker. He's going to come as a great organizer, a great tactician. He's going to have a very magnetic personality. He's going to be a great motivator. He's going to be a genius military leader. Bottom line, he's going to have every single quality that the flesh and this world desires. Go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 real quick. We stop reading at verse 7. Let's pick up at verse 8. It says, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Again, he's talking after the Holy Spirit is removed at the rapture of the church. Then the lawless one, Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Again, Christ doesn't come until when? The end of the seven-year tribulation. So Antichrist is going to rule for those seven years. Amen? The coming of the lawless one, verse 9, is according to the working of Satan, and he will have all power, all signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Again, those who are left behind are all the ones who rejected Jesus Christ and his perfect love. Amen? Verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. Amen? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5. Verse 43, Jesus said, I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. Another comes in his own name, him you will receive. This world today does not want Jesus Christ or anything even associated with him. It doesn't want truth. It doesn't want moral standards. It doesn't want Christianity. It doesn't even want Christmas anymore, does it? Instead, it wants you to have a happy holiday. That's all we hear in the stores anymore, don't we? It's never Merry Christmas. It's just happy holidays. Why? Because this world does not want Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. But when we think about the Antichrist. That's exactly who this world wants. He's going to be tolerant. He's going to be accepting of every single lifestyle except Christianity. Amen? And that's exactly who this world wants. The Bible says he's going to enter the world scene right after the world is devastated by World War III. If you want to read about it, go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. 
A lot of people mistakenly believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39, that war that's being described there, they mistakenly believe that's Armageddon. It's not. It is a totally separate war. That is World War III that this world will be devastated by. It describes a military invasion of Israel led by two main nations, Gog and Persia. Now, it's important that we understand who Gog and Persia is. Now, if you go back in the book of Genesis, you can, you can trace the lineage of Gog all the way back to Russia. So Gog is Russia, directly north of Israel. Now, who is Persia? Persia is pretty easy to figure out. It's still modern-day Iran. Many Iranians still call themselves Persians. So this is a war that is led by Russia and Iran. Two names, two countries that are in our news today dominating it. Amen? Now, this alliance between Russia and Iran has been strengthening over the past few years. Just before Russia invaded Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin and Iranian President Ibrahim Raisi finalized a 20-year relationship agreement. Two nations that never, ever wanted to be in alliance before because they had their own ambitions are now joined together in an alliance. Exactly as God describes in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And this world war that we read about there will just shake the entire world to its core. And it will be looking for, and it will be hoping, and it will be ready to receive this deceptive, smooth-talking antichrist with their arms wide open. Because he's going to come talking peace. But the Bible tells us it's a false peace. Amen? Even Israel will fall under his spell. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible tells us that Israel will agree with Antichrist with a seven-year peace treaty. Now, isn't that ironic? How long is the tribulation period? Seven years. Years It lines up perfectly. Now, this seven-year peace treaty will actually mark the beginning of that seven-year tribulation period. But verse 27 in Daniel 9 also tells us that Antichrist will break that peace treaty at its midpoint, at the three-and-a-half-year midpoint period. Now, that also lines up perfectly with Matthew 24 when Jesus tells us at the midpoint of the tribulation, Antichrist will enter the rebuilt temple and declare that he is God and demand that he be worshipped as God. You see how it all lines up perfectly? Now, Israel at that point will now see the Antichrist's true colors. They will then see his true motives. And Daniel 8 tells us that he will destroy many in the name of peace. A very false peace. How do we know that? Because we know the rider that follows him will come to take peace from the earth. Revelation 6.4 So when we put all this together... 
it sounds quite scary, doesn't it? And it should be if you're not a born-again believer. Amen. As a born-again believer, our hope and our future is firmly secure in the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus Christ. We are safe and secure in his almighty arms. Amen? In his perfect timing, Jesus is going to come and he's going to gather you and I up, his children, at the rapture, and he's going to take us home. He's going to remove us from God's wrath and his judgment that will be poured out upon this uh, Christ-rejecting world. We don't have to endure the tribulation period. We don't have to endure the pure evil and wickedness that the Antichrist will usher in. Amen? We have that promise of God. But the question is, are you ready? That is the question that we need to have on our heart as we go out into this world. As we look at every single person that we come into contact with. Are they ready? And we need to shine the light of Christ. And find out, is he their Savior? Their Lord? If not... We need to let them know about his unconditional love. We need to let them know that, praise God, that today is still the day of salvation and it's not too late. That God indeed is a God of second chances. As I said last week, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how long you've been there. The blood of Christ will cover every single sin. Amen. And that is the message that we need to carry upon our lips and in our heart. And ask everyone who we come into contact with, are you ready? Because Christ is coming.